Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's your host, Vince Petrano. Great to have you with us on this Friday morning, coming up at 10 minutes after 8 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Jumping right into something that I thought was going to bother me at first read when I looked at the headlines. And then it turns out, actually, it doesn't. And you might think it would bother me. You would think, oh, this would, yeah, this would get Vinny. Yeah, this is one of your things. Yeah. this. Is. Mm-hmm. But it kind of turned out to be the opposite. And the reason it's top of mind for me and for probably many families right now, I have a senior in high school. And so we're in the throes of the college selection process. And did yeah. I get into this one? And then if... Is this one the one I want? And the ranking of the this one, and then and how much do they cost? Eventually, we'll get to the money, right? When it when it comes down to that, we're not quite at that point yet. Right now, we want to just see everything out there, okay. and then what do you got? But so we're in this. You know, families have gone through this for for a long time. You went through it yourself, probably at some point, in talking about college or not, and all those things. And what the worth is? What are you getting out of your college education? What does it do to set you up later in life? And so this is a column that uh, appeared a while ago, actually, in the New York Post, and it was written by David Christopher Kaufman. And I'll just read you a couple of excerpts, and it hit me differently than you might expect. Now the latest standard on the chopping block are colleges themselves, as a recent job posting for a director position demonstrates. A LinkedIn posting by, and it's this uh, consulting company out in California, doesn't matter who, asked applicants for a $120,000 to $140,000 a year position to remove, quote, all undergraduate and graduate school name references from their resumes and only cite the degree itself. Quick spin through other job postings at this company confirmed that the policy extends company-wide as part of their, quote, ongoing work to build a hiring system that is free from bias and based on candidate merit and performance. Uh, David Christopher Kaufman writing in the New York Post. So at first at first blush, it feels to me like, um, here we go again. We don't celebrate excellence anymore. We just want everybody to be the same and equal. We don't honor the work that people have done. We don't honor success. We don't allow people to separate themselves out on an academic basis. Mm-hmm. Look, mm-hmm. Some people do better in school than others. Some people do better at life than others. They're more highly accomplished. They're more highly motivated, all these things. And here we go again, trying to make everybody look the same. But I kind of analyzed and I kind of thought about that. And I feel like the landscape has changed. And regardless of what their motivations are at this particular company or any other that's saying, hey, leave the name of the college off. We want to know you got a degree and what that's in. But at least on the resume, leave the name of the institution off. I actually don't think that's a bad thing. Because you could be the worst student at Harvard versus the best student at UWM, but Harvard would look stronger just because it's Harvard. Harvard, right. And they didn't say, we'll never talk about where you went to college. You know, maybe if you get the interview, maybe they talk about it then. Certainly where you went to college or whether you went to college as part of your life experience and represents a series of choices that you made or whatever. But I wonder if, like I'm guilty of it myself. From time to time, I'm asked to sit in on candidate interviews or whatever, sure. and they yeah. send the resume over and I see, oh, Northwestern. Uh-huh. Why? Why? I went to St. Norbert. I, and I told you before, I and maybe it's a different place now, I don't know, but uh, when I went to Wauwatosa East, I got a kick-ass high school education. 
And I know that because I went to college with, I was like an A and a B student. Sure. Yeah. You know, a little bit above average, maybe could have been better. Most of that was effort related. Mm -hmm. Of course. But I went to college and I I go to St. Norbert. I told you the first paper I wrote at St. Norbert for a literature class. And granted, writing is my thing. Clearly that played itself out like you. But first paper I wrote in college, and I'm scared. Like, uh, who knows? First college paper. I got an A+. (laughs) And the guy wrote, my professor wrote, your paper was an oasis in a desert. (laughs) Which meant what he got in for that first paper from a lot of people in college was a bunch of crap. And my paper was not particularly brilliant, but what it was was grammatically correct and not full of errors and mistakes and whatever. And I know there were people who sat next to me in that class that were 3.98 students at the high school they went to yeah, and got the big scholarship and whatever. Perhaps they weren't as smart as you were as an A and B student. Who knows? Right. And you also went to college Mm. with people in the same school where you're like, I don't know how you find your way home at night. Maybe you're book smart, but I... You're not a smart person. I'm trying to think, though, like there is there is more relevance to going to some of these institutions, though, right? Like even I don't know much about Harvard's admittance policies, but like that's a hard go, right? Like that's a difficult tough to get for somebody to have to earn it to get in. And you certainly have to have earned it to to walk out of there with a degree from Harvard. So does that play a role? Like, can you can, can that play some type of role? So if. If you're looking at a resume and you're hiring somebody, okay, they either went to this JUCO where anyone can go mm-hmm. and maybe got a similar education versus someone who had to, had to really work at it to get into some of these higher education institutions. Does that play a role? Yeah, I'm not saying there's no value in it, but I also think like from that initial stage, and we're all told how it works, and I've seen this work, what resumes get put to the top and what resumes don't and things like that. And when we're in you know, a particularly competitive market right now, the pendulum has swung toward, you know, toward the worker. Nobody can find enough people when it's one of these situations where you have, you know, a thousand applicants for one really, you know, important job or whatever. Some resumes get moved to the top. And a lot of times it gets moved to the top based on something like, where did you go to college? So what would you want though? Would you want it to be where they went to college or would you rather be because they were in the Fidel's house and the HR manager, I'm also a Fidel. Yeah. I'm going to put him to the top. That's right. Like, does the fraternity matter? I mean, that I wouldn't want that to be the reason why something is put up to the top yeah. of the list. I think they're trying to prevent that. I think they're trying to say, we're going to try to find out some other measure of grading you out in this initial stage without saying where you went to college is going to yeah. be a deciding factor. And I also look at that as increasingly, and now bringing it back to our family situation and one that many of you may be dealing with it at your dinner table when you've got the papers laid out, at some point, the money is going to come to call. Yeah. And if my kid said to me, and I don't know that she would, because <laughs> most kids want to go where of they want to go. Absolutely. But, you know, you could certainly see a situation where I got into XYZ fancy school, but I've chosen to go to UWM. What's the business? Say, say business. What's business? So Lubar, right? The, Sounds the, right. Yep, yep, yep. Fine school. And I've chosen to graduate debt-free with a degree in business from UWM versus graduate from Ivy League school with $200,000 in debt with a business degree. Hmm. Hmm. And why would a person who made that choice, that wasn't, maybe you got in both. Why would a person who made that choice, why should that person be disqualified from the screening process? That's why I have a different read on it. 
than one of these things where it's, well, we're not celebrating excellence. From the 414, hey guys, do you know what you call the guy who graduates last in his class at medical school? That was my joke this morning. Doctor. (laughs) 817 on Wisconsin's Morning News. The Old National Bank talk and text line is 855-616-1620. Old National Bank, get old. 855-616-1620. How about it? Leave the name of the college where you got your degree off the resume. We'll talk about it next on Wisconsin's Morning News. Twenty-one on this Friday morning, Wisconsin's morning news. Quote, this is why school blind hiring feels so frustrating and phony in this period of quiet quitting and mass resignations. It offers already unmotivated workers one less task to tick off while burnishing their anti-bias credentials for literally doing nothing. Column by David Christopher Kaufman in the New York Post. I see where he's going with it. And while I do think that we do ourselves a disservice when we fail to celebrate excellence, when we fail to elevate those who've achieved great things, and that's going on, no question about it, and I think that's unhealthy. I just question whether or not these employers saying, leave where you went to college off the resume, whether or not that's not a, that's not a decent thing. That is an interesting debate. Um, here, you know, locally here in our office, we have one graduate from Arizona State University, which is Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. That's, that's a very prestigious J school. We have another one who went to Syracuse, which is also a very prestigious J school. We had a lot from Columbia at TMJ for right. another J Missouri, school. Right. Yeah. And like, that's... To me, that does mean something, you know, but I will admit that if they come in here in our schlubs in an interview versus, you know, the local UW-Milwaukee J school grad who comes in and and knocks it out of the park, I'm not sure the school would swing it. But I get the idea. Uh, Here's a couple of texts from the uh, Old National Bank talk and text line. Most hiring managers don't care where you went to school. This is fake news. The question should be, how does a candidate become a better interviewer? Okay. And hey, listen, I've signed off on a few candidates who interview well, and then they come in too, and it's like, oh, that is not the person I thought (laughs) that person was. So there's, you know, there's a lot to be said for that too. I'd like to figure out a way to get through that. I have a lot of respect for hiring managers, the good ones who hire people, and, you know, some of that science and some of it's instinct. It doesn't always work. Yeah, it doesn't, man. I I sit in those rooms sometimes, and I'm like, this guy's great. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't work out. Here's another one: uh, graduate from University of Chicago or UW Green Bay. Yes, it makes a difference. Yeah, and so I think I don't want to take anything away from people who went to great schools because that's where they wanted to go. And I think getting a rigorous education and full-on experience also can have value to that person. I just think, right, if we're, if all I know is here are two candidates, they have similar credentials, they have the same degree, and what what are the schools they cited? Oh, they Green said UW, Green Bay, or University of Chicago. Right. Maybe a really brilliant person made the choice to go to UWGB because he or she didn't want a lot of debt from going to University of Chicago. Or, or maybe that just wasn't the right school. Maybe they got into the University of Chicago. And we're smart enough, but they went to GB instead. But if the person who did go to University of Chicago actually went to Chicago, are they elevated in some way? Is their education stronger than, say, one of these other schools? Just equally as possible, that person's a bonehead 
who happened to go to... Just like the guy who dresses in a suit to work. (laughs) He could also be a bonehead. Right, exactly. So that's my point. Not to diminish anything about what it takes to graduate from either of those institutions. I just mean, you don't know, and I'm as guilty as anybody of seeing the college on the resume. This person went to here. must be... Like, why? Why do I think that? I have no other information about these people. So why do we automatically elevate one over the other? that's why we should be asking for GPAs also. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody we were talking to the other day mentioned that he had, uh, because we're, another topic we're going to discuss on this show, how many Gen Zs and millennials say they lie about stuff all the time. And that's come to the forefront of the Santos thing. But this guy was saying like, oh yeah, I fudged my GPA on my resume. And I thought, why is your GPA even on your resume? Who cares? And why would you fudge it? And then why would you fudge it? That can come back to bite you, by the yeah. way. Background like, checks do take Why would you take, take the risk? Would you, do, would you even look at, like you do some of the hiring here, would you even look at someone's GPA? Uh, I have to admit, I'm not sure if it's on our current, because a lot of these places will have, um, like when you, when you submit a resume, you also have to fill out like a template form, right, on the computer. And, and some of them actually have that as a space you need to fill out on the application that's online. Um, no, I guess I don't. However, we have had background checks in the past. I don't think G, uh, Good Karma does it, but like scripts, I, th- I believe when we were under uh, different management and whatnot and had different ownership, that was part of the background check, like calling the school to make sure that the candidate actually well, they checked up on graduated you. from that school and whatnot. That's good to know. Uh, this on the Old National Bank talk and text line, 855-616-1620, Old National Bank, get old. Most employers are looking at experience and how the person interviews. Uh, I agree with that, but also like we're talking about how do you get to that interview? How do you get to those other stages if not passing that initial resume search? I did have the first guy who hired me for an internship in Green Bay in TV. And I remember we were talking and we were talking about experience levels and what the internship would get you. And I had a lot of experience working in the media center on campus and some other things. So I had some functional skills coming in. And he didn't ask my GPA, and I said, I can get that for you or whatever. And he's like, I will take, for something like this, he goes, or for a first job, I'll take somebody with one internship or a little bit of experience with a C average over a 4.0 who hasn't, hasn't demonstrated done anything, right, right. any actual work experience. From the 414, here's, here's a shot. A Marquette grad looked great on paper on the job for several months. Not so much. Not so much. <laughs> Uh, that person went to UW. And I also am not <laughs> suggesting that there's <laughs> Badger fan call. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it is. That there's not value in that. More on that in a minute. 827 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Wisconsin's morning news this Friday morning. We're talking about whether or not you should even bother putting or whether companies are okay saying, don't don't tell me where you went to college. We do require a degree for this job, whatever. Tell me what your degree is in, but I don't need to know where you went. And you, you kind of like that idea. I, I'm, not a, I'm not against it. I mean, do what you want when, you, when you're hiring in your company, but I'm saying like there are a lot of people that might not make it to the top of the pile based on, you know, being excluded because they're not a fancy school or whatever, and you might be missing out on some pretty smart people. From the old National Bank talk and text line, 855-616-1620, knowing the college matters more for a fresh out. That from Terry. So meaning if you're right out of school, 
looking for a job. Yeah, right. Okay. Knowing that they're from the University of Chicago would help maybe a company take a chance on somebody. Uh, here's one. The college you attended and even the GPA you achieved is not an indicator of someone's ability to su- succeed in the real world, particularly senior year. A lot of people will do the bare minimum just to get the hell out of there and their GPA <laughs> suffers. I've seen these candidates become incredibly successful in their professional life. I took Spanish one my senior year, second semester. I wanted to have a little bit of Spanish and I sure, okay. fascinated by languages yeah. and whatever. I'd taken German and wasn't doing that anymore. So, but who takes a new language second semester, senior year of college? Yeah, that seems like a jump. That right did there. not go well. <laughs> I, bet <it> did. <laughs> <laughs> I had, let me tell you something. It was a struggle last week or two. I got some help from friends like, <laughs> Hey, I got to just, I'm, I'm going to need this to get out of here. Here's one from the 414. The difference between a school like UW and the rest of the state schools, for example, is that it's harder to get into UW, and so you get a higher echelon of students who are at least good at taking tests and getting better grades. Yeah. So does that matter in the job field five, six years later? Don't disagree with that. There's merit to it, for sure. The other way where you went to school really helps you, and you see this in some lines of work more than others, but let's take Marquette here locally. You know, a business degree from Marquette or a law degree from Marquette, how does that community help you? I know people who've gotten an interview within that community simply because, listen, Eric calls up uh, John Shinnelin down there at Shinnelin, Johnson, and Murphy and says, uh, my son just graduated from Marquette, uh, and I know you went to Marquette. You know, like, sure, we'll bring him in. Like, it's just the community takes care of itself. So some of what you get out of that you can become part of that family is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right a bunch of people that will take care of you. Marquette takes care of its own very well. UW Madison in like law or something like that feel like they take care of their own. Notre Dame they take care of their own. So you can get into some of these places. Right, you will enter into a community of people that can help you. There's value in that, no question. That St. Norbert circle is hard to break into. You guys have that one yeah. lock and key. No one else hired ever. <laughs> green Knights. You guys have special That's handshakes right. and everything. I will, I will only exclusively interview with, with Green Knights. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 8.38 on Wisconsin's Morning News. One final note in the college discussion. I will say this. For... And the conversation we're having in my house is, well, how much debt, if any, do you want to graduate with? How does that impact your life in the future? And I know looking through it in the lens of a now nearly 50-year-old guy, and I graduated with a lot of debt, and that was hard to get out from under. But part of college also is the experience beyond the education, right? Sure, of course. And some of that is fun, and some of that is all those other things. Life experiences. Play this exercise with me. All right, listen closely. And before you say no, just listen to my whole pitch here. I'm going to need you to write me a check or find financing for $150,000, payable over you know 10 years, okay? This is going to cost you $150,000, but we're going to send you to a camp where you can drink, party, have ill-advised relationships of any kind for four years. For, uh, in? Right? No, wait, let me finish. No, I'm in. We're That's good. 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 Don't have to say anything else. I'll find a way to pay it. All right. There's something to be said for that, too. At 8.39 in Wisconsin's Morning News, we had a couple of interesting insights into what is happening and the charges that are, I guess they haven't formally been charged, but they are going to be charged against 
a couple of people in that shooting on the movie set, including Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin and an armorer are going to be charged with involuntary manslaughter for the shooting death of the cinematographer Helena Hutchins. Which no one argues wasn't an accident. Right. It was an accident. Whether or not there's criminal culpability is where these charges are coming from. And they're also going to be civil. There could also very well be civil liability, and that will play out in separate cases. But whether or not someone is criminally liable for their behavior. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Alec Baldwin presents an interesting case. I was saying, like, here's a guy who's done movies his whole life. And I'm no Alec Baldwin defender, but just looking at whoever it is in this situation. You're handed a gun that you believe is a prop. You have no reason to believe that is not a prop. Heretofore in your movie and cinema experience and professional world, that gun which you're handed on a movie set has never been anything but a prop. It has never before had a live round of ammunition for it in the confines of a movie set. Now, granted, this was a real gun, obviously, and it had a live round in it. But in this guy's entire experience, he had never been handed a gun on a movie set that had a bullet in it. There's no reason why there should have been live ammo, period. Exactly. So we want to bring in Debbie Lazica because, Deb, again, you (laughs) continue to be one of the most intriguing people I know. And you, what, you have some experience in this? Yes, yes. Um, I've been a stage manager for local theater for a while, and I haven't done it in a while. But one of the shows that we did was a murder mystery, and I was in charge of the firearm that we were using in in the show and we have procedures put together specifically for safety i mean the stage manager we always had the gun locked the stage manager was the one that was responsible for loading it the person shooting and the person aimed at for the for the scene was to be present whenever we loaded the gun once i loaded it i showed them where the rounds were i put it closed it up put it onto the prop shelf which was right next to me um, as I was calling the show, and no one was allowed to touch that other than the actor that needed to use it. So, I mean, we had procedures put in place for that, um, and never, ever did we ever have live rounds. It was always blanks. Now, I know other situations where people were killed with prop guns because a blank misfired mm-hmm, and the piece mm-hmm. of shrapnel went, whatever. Okay, that that is just, that's a freak accident. But this kind of thing of actually having live ammunition on set... There's no reason for it whatsoever. So I can understand if the armorer gets into big trouble for it. And Baldwin, unfortunately, was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And again, actors never goof around with that type of stuff. I mean, they shouldn't ever goof around with, you know, with with the guns because you never know if they might misfire or whatever. But yeah, so I feel bad for for Baldwin. But and I I kind of don't see him as throwing the armorer under the bus. It was the armor's responsibility to make sure that that was taken care of. But according to what you just said, it was his responsibility, too, to be mindful yes. of the fact that... You don't the, goof around. I don't know if he was or, goofing around oh, with right, it or but what. I mean, it's on the person holding the weapon to also make sure that that weapon can't hurt somebody. Right. And that's why I'm saying... Um, I feel bad for him, but it wasn't anything. I, I'm, I'm, I'm. I believe him when he says that it wasn't anything malicious. Um, so, even if it was, even if it was a misfire or it was a malfunction of the gun, there is, there is no reason why there should be live ammo on set anywhere near that set. And it just spoke to all the the corners being cut and all that stuff from the production team. So, if the production team gets into trouble for it and gets sued and stuff like that, I get it. I get it totally. You know, we Dr. Ken was talking with us yesterday, and uh, folks know Dr. Ken Harris, our teammate from 1017 The Truth, does Former the afternoon show. 
Right, former police lieutenant. And in terms of another person who is really intriguing, I mean, I t- told yesterday, I told him, like, you know who you are? You're Forrest Gump. Because he Cause, knows everything. Because he's done everything. He's, <laughs> he's had like a million jobs. Sets. Right. And yes, Dr. Ken revealed that he has worked on movie sets. And, you know, his value to them was as a, as a former cop, like, he knows about firearms and things like that. And he said... How did he say, Eric, like when you were handed a firearm on the movie set, just like Deb was describing. It's on you. You check it. No matter what you think Mm -hmm. it should be or who should have checked it or any of those other things, you are one of the checks and balances and you look at it too. If you every time. That's why the actors were always present when I was when I was working with the gun. So So if you're handed a rubber knife, you need to make sure it's a rubber knife. Mm Yeah. If you're handed a retractable sword, you got to make sure it's a retractable sword. If you're handed a laser gun that doesn't even exist See, now yet, you... <laughs> you need to make sure it's not actually going to fire lasers. Eric's drawing this out into the Star Wars absurd of like, if I get handed the laser gun, yeah. a blaster. A blaster, That's right. Yes. Do you... You Do fire you the blaster, sure? doesn't go off, then you throw the gun at the guy. That's <laughs> what they like, did on Wonder Woman all the time. No <laughs> nuclear juice in there, then it's going pew, pew. If you're handed a <laughs> golden make lasso. The noise. <laughs> but, right, yeah, pew. but my, but he's, he said, no, you have to make sure that, it, especially if it's in the shape of a gun, looks like a gun. If it's a duck, it quacks like a duck, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. You have to make sure. And I guess it never dawned on me. Yeah, me neither. That if it's a prop, it's a prop. Right. Um, that said, you know, the, the whole situation with Baldwin, I mean, here's a guy who's been on a million movie sets. You should know better. Right. So you know, obviously yeah. there's something there, there that they got to figure out. I'm not saying he won't get off, but I learned a lot from, from you, Deb, and from Dr. Ken on what responsibility that person has with the firearm. Ken even said, like, I can stand right in front of you, watch you show me that it's not loaded, watch you go through that whole thing. You hand it to me, I open it right back up. And do go through that same process, even though I just watched you do it. That's how careful you have to be with these things. And obviously, folks on this set were not that careful. 845 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Ten minutes before nine o'clock. One of the other stories we've been on top of today: David Crosby has passed away. Crosby, Stills, Nash. I, do I hear any young in there? Is that just Crosby, Stills, Nash? Yeah, a little young. and young and young, right? We we, we kind of laughed at one of the obit pieces that we ran this morning. Ah, is that right. the CBS one? Yeah, Steve Cathan's report <laughs> was basically it's a thirty-second obit, which is pretty standard. You know, been up there in age, and you mm-hmm. probably are ready for this. And he just characterized his career and then but the whole thing was just all sorts of bad stuff david crosby's life was chaotic even by the standards of rock stars drug addiction prison time a liver transplant and other serious health problems then there were the fights with his bandmates the birds which he co-founded kicked him out and he so alienated the rest of Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young that they all stopped talking to him. <laughs> and he's dead now. Rest in peace. Right. Right. And he's Oof. 81. <laughs> Yikes. All right. I mean, it's not wrong, but... Not a great farewell, but the music was good. Hey, one of the stories that um, broke yesterday that I really feel like hasn't gotten a lot of fanfare. I haven't seen it anywhere on the networks today. Maybe it's been up there and I just haven't seen it. The state Supreme, or I'm sorry, not the state Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court has finished its investigation. 
This was the investigation into how did a draft opinion of the high court get leaked before it was issued, months before it was issued, mm-hmm. of course, famously in the Roe versus Wade Never case. happens. This never, never happens in the high court. It was an eight-month investigation. It included more than 120 interviews, and it spent... They spent hours and hours going through a documentation to figure it out. So how did they learn who released it? Who was that person? <laughs> no one. <laughs> we have no idea. We have nothing. They came up with nothing. So now they're saying, yeah, we failed to find, figure out who the leak is. So. That's unbelievable to me. That they failed to figure it out? Or do you think they know? No, I don't... Yeah, that's an interesting question. I th- they may suspect but can't prove, and that only points to it had to be one of the justices. It's, God, you sure think it's either Alito or Sotomayor, because they're the ones that had the most fingerprints to the dock. And the investigators claim that they interviewed freaking everybody who could possibly have had access to this. They, in those interviews, got a great degree of honesty, they say, because some people said, yeah, I might have been talking about this in ways I shouldn't have. And this doesn't surprise me. Yeah, a few court employees interviewed in the course of the probe acknowledged that they told loved ones how divided the court was in private discussions about the matter. So having dinner, tell your husband or your wife, yeah, yeah. looks like this one's going to get over. Guess what these guys are going to do. It doesn't sound very good. The stuff that I've read. Also, they're going to increase some of the security. Investigators concluded that many of the court's practices for handling physical and electronic copies of opinions and internal communications were too casual and archaic, leaving little way to trace the potential leaks. Yet it was just based on the honor system. Like you work for the United States Supreme Court. You take an oath if you're a federal employee. And you had people working from home. And right. I think what they found out is, and they mentioned like post-COVID, like we... We got a little bit of la- a little bit lax in the policies that we do have, also in terms of oversight of what documents and what other things are coming and going from the Supreme Court building itself. And we're going to tighten that up, and then we're also going to look at some other procedures. But they did forensic searches. They checked who printed what. They checked, you know, mm-hmm. what was happening on people's computers. They did data searches. They did so all do you, that. Do you think they know? And they're just not saying. I think after all that, and it turned up nothing definitive from the rank and file, so to speak. I think they have a they have a suspicion that it's got to be one of one of the nine, and they probably have their suspicions on who that is, or one of the nine spouses. <laughs> but the spouse wouldn't have access <laughs> to the right to the actual. It's You're one thing maybe, if they had just maybe, reported sourced information. Tell us, maybe they Jenny had the Thomas. Document. Maybe Jenny Thomas just took a lick over uh, Clarence's shoulder when he was working on the the Zoom calls. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and was taking pictures, what, with a spy camera? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of those out of those old spy movies. And that, that whole idea of telling a spouse, that doesn't surprise me that that happens. Nah. And by the way, that could not be a source. Like, Politico didn't get this. Like, you just said, it was a document. They yeah. had the draft. They, it wasn't because some husband or some clerk said, hey, Politico, guess what? Like, guess what? Guess what I heard? Some guy who's married to someone else who works there says, I mean, that would not be, that would not give them merit to be able to go with that reporting. So, again, after all of that, what did you say, eight months? Eight months and 142 interviews. And no closer to the truth. Well, we are... whole big nothing. We are closer to the truth. We know who it wasn't, and it was pretty much everybody else in that building. 8.55 on Wisconsin's Morning News. WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. 
Joe Zapecki is going to be in for Steve today for the next few hours. You know, funny, uh, we were just talking about, since we had that earlier conversation about college and what it mattered, what it was worth, and I had an opportunity to play tennis in college, which meant a lot to me, but my senior year, I got offered a job at the TV station in Green Bay where I ultimately started my career, and we were talking about you know, Joe, whether you wanted, whether or not you wanted to play D3 football or whatever right. not, that mattered. Yeah. For me, it was, so I had to quit tennis my senior year. But look and, where you landed. But look, look how widely successful. But you often think about it, though, don't I you? I do. I actually do regret that. And everything worked out great, and here I am now in my life and whatever. But I remember one of my advisors tried to talk me out of it. And she did give me some good advice. I came in there and I said, well, I have this job offer, but it would mean this. We'd have to move this and that around my schedule. And then also I'd probably have to quit tennis. And I do I respect her and I really liked her. Uh, Carol Cortez, Dr. Carol Cortez. She said, I know what you're going to do because I know you and I've worked with you for years. But let me just, if you'll just think about this for a second. You have the rest of your life to work. You got one more chance in life to play college tennis. I had a feeling that's where this was going. Right? <laughs> and I, that is a change I would have made. Because when you're, when you're young, you just think, i got to have it all figured out right, right yeah. now. you got to do I it now. Everything figured out right now. And I didn't. But I might not be sitting here with you, gentlemen. See, I, I firmly believe that could have been the case. Who things, knows? Things have a way of working out. You could have worked in Appleton. We have no idea. Could have been a somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. What is that? On the waterfront? <laughs> oh, now you're dropping yeah, now the movie dropping references. Movie. <laughs> what do you got coming up, Joe? Uh, no referee, no Steve Scafidi today, but yeah. Bill McCoshin and I will still nice. be talking oh, nice. politics in the 9 o'clock hour. So stay with us. Unvarnished. That's right. It's next on WTMJ. Hey, Vince, aren't you supposed to be in this meeting?